standing as we read God's Word together and then approach Him. We will be reading uh, James chapter 1, and we're actually going to start in verse 2 through 4 and then skip down to our text, verse 12. So let's read together, starting at James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brother, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness, uh, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You for this text. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for the gift of Your Son. Bless the preaching of your word now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many of you probably will recall 2007, a number one bestseller and DVD, if you remember what those are, uh, hit the country by storm. And the title of this book and DVD was simply called The Secret. Uh, It was authored and edited by an Australian by the name of Rhonda Byrne. And she claimed to have discovered an ancient secret called the law of attraction. And she claimed it has been found in every, uh, everything from the Bible to Babylonian mystery religion to Buddhism, even to Albert Einstein. And it was supposed to uh, unlock the very secrets of life. Now, when Oprah Winfrey got a hold of this, it went viral before there was such a thing as viral. 300 million copies of this were sold worldwide. And as most of you or some of you may know, the the secret ended up being nothing more than really a sophomoric scheme of visualizing you having what you want uh, and then simply asking the universe for it believing you were going to get it, and then receiving it. Like other fraudulent money-making schemes, which this exactly what this was, it really was interesting that it seemed the only things that the secret was really interested in helping you get were middle-class greed items like houses, cars, vacations, followed by health, relationships, And then the rest of the needs of humanity were in a distant sixth place. Uh, 
However, tonight from the pulpit, I will tell you, I will make a mightier claim than even Oprah or The Secret claimed. I'll make the claim that in our text tonight, the Apostle James, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit himself, will not only give us the secret of life on earth, he will give us the secret of eternal life. So, with that as a, uh, a backdrop, we're going to take a look this evening uh, at the text in three different ways. First, we're going to see the actual secret of life itself in verse 12, and I'll give it away. That secret is loving God. Second, we'll see the pathway to death, and that will be loving your sin in verses 13 through 15. And finally, third, we'll see the author of both life and death, and he will be the sovereign will of a holy, good, and merciful Father in verses 16 through 18. So first, let's look at the secret of life in verse 12. Look with me, if you will, uh, at James uh, from verse 2 through 4 in the chapter that we've just read. He says this, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because of the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness here is actually a really good translation, and there's actually a lot to this. Not only we think of steadfast being immovable, but it's also uh, patience, endurance, fortitude, guts, strength. And he ties this directly into the testing of our faith. Now, I'm sure we can all relate to the testing of our faith. It's just that joy of it is kind of hard to get, kind of hard to wrap our arms around. But hopefully, James will help us do that tonight. We do indeed relate to the trials. It's just the joy. But then verse 4 And when that steadfast becomes seasoned or a part of our life, we already, and when we already know how we will react when these trials hit us, James says that we become mature or complete in our faith. And this is a learned experience, brothers and sisters. Uh, And let's together help each other uh, learn these and uh, spur each other on. To good works. For surely a byproduct of this secret we're about to see is this learning how to live contently. Look how Paul explains it, <clears throat> this learned steadfastness, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses there. Philippians <clears throat> 4. <clears throat> Excuse me, my apology to Nate and the Sunday school team teaching. Uh, uh, on Sunday school because I, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, steal your punchline, but I'm going to anyway. This is such a good <laughs> verse. <clears throat> um, let's take a look at this, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and let's start at verse 11, this learned contentment. Paul says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be, and I know how to abound. And any and every circumstance, 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, being as gracious as I possibly can to Tim Tebow on the cover of Sports Illustrated when we lived in Denver, he had a blackened, uh, the eye black on the cover of Sports Illustrated that said Philippians on one side, Phil, and 413. And I have more patience with Tim than the clown pastors in Denver at that time that started doing the same thing from the pulpits when they preached. I had very little patience with that. But I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me has nothing to do with touchdowns, winning, landing the perfect job, straight A's, getting into that revered Ivy League college, or even growing a church of like-minded worldly seekers. It simply means living contently and in Christ happily regardless of your circumstances. How many of you remember the power team? Boy, I get some laughs, so at least, at least Mike knows who the power team is. The power team are these guys, and I, don't, I, I think they're still around, where they would come into churches and for a, you know, a small uh, appearance fee of about 12000 and another ten grand to help with the setup, they would, uh, 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 they would uh, preach a few uh, words and then they would start ripping phone books and breaking perfectly stacked blocks of wood and cement and all the time saying, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Boom! And there would go the, there would go the, the, the bricks and all that. And, you know, we, we look at that, and their message was always the same thing. If you believe in Jesus too, like us, what miracles and what obstacles can you break in your life? Well, <clears throat> before they no longer exist, I would encourage you to go to your local bookstore and make your way to the self-help section. And what you'll see there is virtually the power team on steroids and any topics that you can look for. Here you'll find title after title trying to answer this question of what is the secret of life. And regardless of what your perceived problem is or are, whether they be familial, whether they be relational, whether they be health-wise, mental or physical, or maybe wealth-wise, keeping what you have and getting what you don't. <clears throat> yes, <clears throat> we have problems, and the answer is in the aisle. And you surely will find your secret of life in just about 175 pages, because that's about what they run. Yet sometimes the world almost gets it right. Almost. They come close. My and our favorite singer is the singer-songwriter James Taylor, which many of you already know, and he actually wrote a terrific song entitled The Secret of Life, and here's James's take. The secret of life is enjoying the passing of time. Any fool can do it. There ain't nothing to it. Nobody knows how we got to the top of the hill, but we're here and since we're only on our way down, we might as well enjoy the ride. His answer and his advice 
we're only one way down to the grave, all of us, and we may as well do what we can to enjoy this trip of life to death. And that is the best the world has to offer, the best the world can offer. Well, let's look at our passage and find the answer that the Lord gives us and apply it, if we will. We've just seen that being steadfast in trials produces uh, this steadfastness. Now, James continues in our text in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those that love it, that love him. And there it is, brothers and sisters, in black and white, the real secret, the secret of being blessed, that's happy and contented, is remaining steadfast to the end. And this joy, this contentment, this happiness in the face of living in the world that hates you is what God promises to those that love him. Do you love Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters? I mean, really love him? Notice that those that remain steadfast receive the crown of life, or literally, in the the original, the crown of the life. It is the crown of faithfulness for all eternity, eternal life. But notice the crown is given not for suffering. It's given as a promise to those that love Jesus Christ. How do we love him? How do you know you love him? For those of you who like lists, here is one. This one is brought to you by a famous Scottish reformer. Five things that that you can use as a litmus test. Do I love Jesus Christ? Number one, do I think much about him? This particular Reformer uses the Song of Solomon in each point, or most of the points. He says, the spouse loves Christ, though he is absent from him slash her. Their love for him still rises up, and it leads her to ask for the one who loves her soul in Song 3.3. Number two, do you speak much? about Christ to yourself and to others. Quote, I held him and I would not let him go. Song of Solomon 3, 4. And then she says to the others, go and behold the one who is crowned in Song 3, 11. Do you respect, do you love, and do you keep his commandments? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is what a Christian is. We are to go and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever he has commanded. Number four, be ready to lose anything, including your life, for him, are you? Christ himself says that if anyone loves anything more than me, he is not worthy of me in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. And number five, the Scottish reformer says, your testing of your love for Christ, do you hate your sin? 
And for that number, five, we go to our next point. The secret of life is loving Christ. And secondly, sin is the pathway to death. Look at verse 13 with me. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. For those of us like me who love the Greek language and like to sometimes think that we know it okay, um, and then when we actually try to do things with it, we realize how little we even know of it. I know a good friend of mine with his PhD uh, teaches Greek, and he says the same thing. And here is a good example of it. Because it's easy to, ironically, be tempted to look up every uh, word in this passage uh, and, and look for hidden meanings on test versus trial versus temptation. And for example, here in James chapter 1, we have slightly different words for both test and tempt, both coming from the same Greek root. So my natural thought would be James clearly here is saying that God tempts no one. But he surely is the one who tests our faith. Yet this reasoning uh, will conclude that it's the devil that tempts us bad and God who tests us good. Yet this reasoning will often lead to frustration if you do this much in the New Testament. For the words of test and tempt used in this passage and elsewhere through the New Testament are used interchangeably. You can't tell what one test is, what one tempt is, and they both seem to run into each other. This is the same thing that you'll find, by the way, when you proudly proclaim that you understand love because there's four words for love in the New Testament. Agape meaning God's love, eros meaning romantic love, phileo meaning friendship, and storge meaning kind of an, a family long-term love. But the problem you have with those is the same here, and it's the same with episkopos being bishop and uh, elder and shepherd in the New Testament. You see them used interchangeably, so it's very hard to, to you know, point these things out. The answer is actually much easier than this type of lexical gymnastics. Everything that happens to us, everything that happens to you, brothers and sisters, is part of God's sovereign plan for your life and mine. It's often in the very middle of this testing of your faith that the sinfulness of your own hearts lure and entice you to leave the very God that does the testing of your faith. We love to sin. And sometimes we sin in horrible ways where for a time we would even desire and be embarrassed by the very God that we do honestly love. The pathway to death is loving sin. An example of this in my mind, brothers and sisters, is the current debate we have right now going in the Presbyterian Church of America on same-sex attraction. Oh, he's not going to go there. Yes, he is. 
We had a human sexuality study that was done and was recognized fully by the General Assembly, almost, almost unanimously, and that report very clearly states that the very sexual desire and attraction that we call same-sex attraction is an evil desire. The desire itself is evil. The attraction itself comes from within our fallen, sinful nature. And surely, we must never give in to that desire. And I'm glad for our folks, our brothers and sisters in Christ who say that they are same-sex attracted but celibate and that they will not give in to the sin. And I'm glad that they're pursuing that path. But the desire itself, our report says, needs to be repented of and put to death. The desire itself needs to be put to death. Every time, over and over again, believing God that there is no sin that he will not help us have some measure of victory in, both now and ultimately completely in the life to come. Yet there are church members and officers in our denomination that gladly identify with this sin, proudly proclaiming that it is who I am and my desires have never changed. So while I am doing my best not to give in to my desires, I call myself a gay, a same-sex attracted, a sexual minority, etc., etc. I don't need a cure, I need care. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I spent 30 years with my father at his side fighting this battle. I read his manuscripts that he was going to read at the equivalent of the General Assembly of the Lutheran Church. And my poor dad was laughed at as he stood up time and time again and says, we can't do this. We need to follow the Bible. And he'd go, he'd go down. Finally, what started out in my father's Lutheran denomination as an apology to mistreatment of homosexuals became acceptance of homosexuals that agreed to live a celibate lifestyle only that led to accepting marriages legally in the churches where the, the states legalized it, to ordaining gay pastors. You say, it'll never happen in this denomination. I hope not. But we do need a cure. And that cure is the gospel and repentance. Verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death but aren't they the same? What about that sin that you love? The one you hide? The one that's a little sin? The one you protect? The one you cringe if it's ever mentioned from the pulpit or others? The one you don't want anyone 
anyone to know you hold secretly and secretly love. Oh, friend, listen. It's not worth it. Do not grieve the Savior who loves you. Now, let's combine both of these together, these points. The secret of contentment and happiness is a love of God. And if love of sin is the pathway to destruction, what do we make of our complaining, grumbling, and griping as believers? Our discontent, our true lack of joy in this life, and the lack of longing for the life to come. And I see it, brothers and sisters. Some of you, if you crack a smile, ah, it's going to break things. The answer to both of these is our love of Christ and the gospel has waned or we are harboring secret sin. There's no other way to look at it. Be happy. The world can be happy. You can be happy. You have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, neither the Lord nor James leaves us in this terrible predicament that, by the way, we all find ourselves in. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my my beloved brothers. Now, notice how rightfully so James adds beloved here. And he adds it, and we almost get a sense of urgency to what James is trying to teach us. One commentator puts it so well here. He says, present here within each of us is the great and inescapable foe of progress in the Christian life with God and the subtle and insinuating power of our own sinful and fallen natures to snatch it away. That's us. Don't we all have times of frustration and cry like the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We end with James in verses 17 and 18 and finally see the author of both life and death. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of of his creatures. Even when our hearts are cold, brothers and sisters, even when we are dead in trespasses and sin before we ever knew or heard the gospel, The good news was there from Christ. We know it's all of Him. Any one of us that are truly saved know it's all of Him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variations or shadow due to change. Oh, take comfort, believer, tonight. Every good and perfect gift, your salvation, your needs in this life, You're begging to be delivered from that miserable sin. Your life and everything in it is from above. And it's from your Father, the same Father who is the Father and Creator of all things. And there's no turning from Him. 
He will accomplish what he has started in your heart. And what has he started in you? Verse 18, the very heart of the matter. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We now come to verse 18, the heart of the matter of James' argument in verses 12 through 18. Listen to one of the commentators. I, I tried to take what this guy said, and he wraps in less than a paragraph 12 through 18 so beautifully. He says this, 12 through 18. This is, a steady persistence is necessary if we are to make headway in maturity in life. One of the ways we are to show ourselves faithful is the maintenance of a heart that loves God, verse 12. But this very heart is itself a central foe of our righteousness because of its continuous sinfulness. That's 13 through 15. About this, we must see to it that we are in no doubt, verse 16, but there is a solution to our dilemma. For from heaven we may expect absolutely everything needed, every good thing coming to us by divine gift, 17. And in particular, there is one thing God has freely chosen to do for us. He has brought us to birth by his word with the intention that we should be specifically his and notably holy his. Verse 18. Isn't that beautiful? You did not choose me. I chose you. Remember, this book was written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. But oh, this electing love is so rooted in Jewishness. Number one, of all that the Lord had, Israel was his special creation. His first fruits of all people. Number two, the first fruits in the Old Testament had to be the best and were put away first and given first. And finally, three, the first fruits was an annual reminder of God's love and protection of his people, which really, unbelievably, we actually are. If that's not enough to make us blush and sick of our secret and petty sins, I don't know what would. So as we close, just two uh, thoughts in the form of one question. <clears throat> Number one, do you know him and do you love him tonight? Has that love waned? Is the love of your sin destroying your joy in the Christian life? I heard a preacher say one time, and I never forgot it. He said, if you are happy or more happy and more excited and more enamored with anything in this life other than the fact that Christ died for you and has forgiven you, you are living in a backslidden condition. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think that's right. Well, <clears throat> we'll close with the last almost beautiful verse from that almost reformed exegete, James Taylor. Let's see where he ends. He says this. Einstein said we could never understand it all, 
planets spinning through space, a smile upon your face, welcome to the human race. And I want to say, no, James, stop, you almost had it. It's really this. Einstein said we can never understand it all. Planets spinning through space, a smile upon your face. Welcome to a life in grace. It's some kind of lovely ride. We're sliding down. We're gliding down. It's just a lovely ride. And it is. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you and love you for your word. Father, we know, every one of us that know you as Savior, know it's all your work. Father, if we're honest, if there was one thing we had to do to keep it, we may as well close the doors and not even come because we would find a way not to keep it. Yet you've pursued us. You've loved us. Father, help us put away that sin that so easily trips us up. Help us live loving this life, enjoying it, having a joy in our heart and our life, greeting each other with a holy kiss, loving the life that you've given us to lead. And we know, Lord, there will be trials. And help us come through those. Steadfast is our prayer. Amen. Amen. Uh, Please stand as we close with our hymn of response. All glory be to God.